This is Coda Radio, episode 204 for May 9th, 2016. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our absolutely structured, designed, and sometimes objectional, but always passionate, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Listen, Chris. We're going to refactor healthcare.gov in Canada. Canada is going to pay for it. <laughs> I do whine because I want to win. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. That's your platform for today's episode of Coda Radio. I see. I see. Uh, Mr. Dominic, it's good to be back here with you. Uh, you know, it was brought to my attention just before we started the show that we are a mere four or five weeks away from our four-year mark on the money. How about that? Four years of Coda Radio. Boom. Podcasting. The show has gotten worse every year. Oh, we try. I mean, we try. Yeah. Eventually, we'll we'll stop tricking people into tuning in. You know, I actually, before we lose the audience, have a question for them because this has got to be – I'm not even pandering. This has got to be something that our audience struggles with. Uh, During Linux Fest Northwest, I seem to develop a particular nasty case of RSI. And I guess I – so it turns out I did a little Googling, as we all do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I discovered that uh, you are more likely to develop RSI doing some of the standard repetitive tasks that you do if you are doing them under a high stress load, which, yep. is, which is exactly what I was doing during Linux Fest. I was working under a very high stress load. And so now I have had uh, – it's been, it's been so bad sometimes that I'm having a hard time carrying beverages or opening doors and things like that. So it's been awful. Now, it's gotten better. I've started doing some stretches. Uh, it's not so YouTube videos. But I just put that out there to the audience if uh, – Oh, if anybody in the audience knows what I could do to help with old RSI, I got to imagine it's going to be the Coda Radio audience. So, well, what kind of keyboard do you have? I mean, I, I used to get it pretty bad. You know, I have I have all I have a whole range of keyboards I use from laptop keyboards, where it's definitely the worst. Mike is like, uh, yeah, you don't you don't want to be work like my laptop's a MacBook. You, you don't work on your laptop. Yeah, right? it, it yeah it was oh, it was it's really bad on the laptops. And then I have uh, of course I have just standard QWERTY keyboards everywhere else. My you, favorite is my Logitech. Uh, Spend spend a little bit of money. It's not a lot. I think it's like a hundred bucks, and get a DOS keyboard, uh, mechanical keyboard. But that's going to make my RSI better, huh? Something about it versus you know the standard laptop keyboard. Even on like the MacBooks, mm. which are supposed to be the better keyboards, it's it's significantly better. Huh. Hmm. Now, of course, the minute you unplug your laptop and start typing on it, you're going to be like, "What kind of barbarism is this?" But hey. Now I know you're a busy man with the unborn child, or with the, now with the recently born child. I should recently say. born, yeah. Uh, but I, and I, so I don't want. I hate to go after a new uh, a, a new father uh, about his attractiveness. But last week you sounded much you sounded much more intimate to me, like you were up against that mic oh, more. Do you know why? Because it was a different mic. Baby. Oh, I see. All right, so you got multiple recording locations, like reporting live on the scene. Essentially, is what we that I love. I'm all about that mic. Now what you're telling me is it's flavor we're getting because you're on location. 
Chris is on board. Now, 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 now we have context. Speaking of context, could you give me a little to this second Oracle versus Google trial? Because I think I like your take pretty much better than everybody else's take, and yeah. it's getting a lot of press. And Ars Technica is spinning this as um, <laughs> Swift just randomly came up on my screen. <laughs> Ars, I, I was scrolling the Ars Technica article, and a Swift yeah. logo just randomly, <laughs> which is almost, I wonder if it's a sign about where Google's Sign. going. But uh, anyways, this Ars Technica article spins this as anyone who's ever written anything that talks to an API should be worried. Uh, and that all of coding, as they put it, is in jeopardy. What do you no, think? No. Um, so this is brought to us by the butter bullshit. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the deal. You can't copy and paste people's code and not get sued. I mean, you can, but you, you'll probably get sued, right? Uh, the issue is not that Google implemented, or rather, this is a distinction. The issue is not using Oracle's API, right? Because anyone can do that, for the most part, for Java at least. That's why the API is there, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The issue is that Google literally, see, this case is so old now that a lot of the details have kind of gotten I know. Funny. I know. It's ridiculous. Well, cause just, to, just to give it some, some perspective, yeah. Oracle bought Sun Microsystems in freaking 2009 with the intention of I'm this lawsuit it. all along. So I, that I, gives like, you perspective. This was the value prop because Sun – and we, right. I don't want to so get that's into- when this whole ball – that's how old this is now. That's when, that's when this started getting uh, rolling. Well, and if you remember, there was a smoking gun years ago, but Sun just never cared. And that was that one Google engineer who, you know, obviously names whatever names, copy and pasted. I believe the report was like directly copy and pasted stuff. And it still had the Sun Microsystems heading in it and everything. Yeah, there was some – now all of yeah. that's been cleaned up. Yeah, well, of course it's been cleaned up. But it doesn't mean you didn't do it, right? Like <laughs> – you know, if I, if I hit you with my car, and then, oh, but I paid your medical <laughs> No, hold on. It's not, it's not a car hit. It is not like hitting you with your car. It is you released open code or and and somebody else is copying it. It's not like somebody is okay, hitting you. Okay, there, but there is a license on what is – you know, open source doesn't mean no copyright, right? And, and that's exactly what this is. Um, right. Okay, good point. Good point. Yeah, there it, was a copyright in place. You know, I am not an attorney, but – it's funny, when I read tech sites about this, it's the sky is falling. First of all, this has no material impact on really anybody. The only thing that could possibly happen is Google may switch to the open JDK, right? Because, you know, reasons. Um, the problem, again, is literally copying Sun's code. That's the root problem. It is not, it's not even a patent lawsuit. It is simply copyright. Like the most basic IP protection you could possibly have. So what, one really interesting facet about this is on tech sites, there's a whole bunch of FUD about, oh my god, you're going to get sued if you're using Java on your server. And that's nonsense. You're, you are licensed to use Java on your server. That license happens to cost zero dollars. That is the deal. Um, but I, I've read a couple, um, and I'll try to find links before you publish the show. Okay. But attorneys, like IP attorneys reviewing the case, and to them, this is the dumbest open and shut case on the planet. A stupid junior employee at Google, and I'm not saying the person's stupid, but made a dumb mistake, right? Someone made a mistake, got caught, and Oracle is being a little greedy, and instead of just saying, you know what, you made a mistake, pay us some money, they're saying, you made a mistake, pay us a lot of money. That's it. Like, that is the core of this case. It would be like if, if I did an app for Jupiter Broadcasting, and I didn't realize that the GitHub project I pulled in wasn't MIT licensed, right? And it was, you know, 
actually proprietary, but the person didn't have a private repo. And them trying to sue me for a million dollars. It's ridiculous, right? The, the lawsuit is arguably disproportionate to the value that Google actually gained from it, particularly because Java was not the only option, but Google engineers picked Java partially for technical reasons, but we talked about this a couple and weeks was ago. The, and I guess if they had done an exact implementation of, if they had taken Sun software, or I guess Oracle software, I would know at the time it was Sun's, and had licensed it, it and, and did it. Well, they could have just paid Sun and done whatever they wanted. So this is the other thing. Google could have called Sun and offered to pay them. <laughs> and didn't do it because, you know, they're Google and they don't like software to cost money. So, well, yeah. Hmm. But that, was that decision made? Was that decision made before Google acquired well, Android? But yeah, yeah. Of course, I suppose once you acquire it, you're aware of all these once things. Once you acquire it, you're on the hook, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to get off this because because the story is so overblown that it's kind of comical. But you know, Sun Microsystems was a company towards the end that had a lot of amazing technology. And really no way to make money. Like, honestly. Well, here's what – here's where, well, I mean, Sun had a great platform. I mean, they had uh, the, the Spark system. They had Solaris. Yeah, the they, Spark it, system, I mean, when, right? Think about right – say five, five to zero years between, from when Oracle bought Sun. Spark system was not going nearly as strong, right? I mean, yeah. IBM's on deals. HP was killing it, right, to use the startup parlance. Um, imagine a world where Sun had decided to simply somehow monetize Java a little better. I think everybody would be a lot happier. I think Java would be actually in a much better place than it is now. Um, it would be, you know, seeing a lot less um, what, what it seems like brain drain, but I'm not, I'm not sure how much of that is real and how much of that is just people blogging and trying to drum up leads for their own consulting businesses. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. if, you, if you believe your RSS feed, Java's having quite the brain drain. Um, and, you know, Oracle is not a good guy. I'm not suggesting they're a good guy. I'm just saying Google's not innocent. You know, that's it. Like, I, I do tend to agree with you. Uh, where where I'm getting a little uh, a bit of a disconnect is definitely uh, getting represented in the tech press as this is going to decide the future of APIs and the results of this case uh, could become disastrous. And uh, in fact, the line that Ars Technica uses, it's a real beauty in here. I wish I, wish I could read it, but uh, essentially it says uh, it's going to fundamentally change software development forever. You, you know what, what is a more material threat to software developers, particularly independent developers, that crazy ass Lodsys company that was suing everybody for Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah. They are a more material, much uh, more realistic threat that the sheriff's gonna show up at your door with the So to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, it is okay. So this uh Ars Technica does sort of imply this is gonna be awful for developers, a, a few paragraphs down from what I'm about to read, but the quote that was the most reactionary actually came from the uh, EFF. Uh, and it said uh, in regards to this case, it's really going to create a radical shift in how software is developed worldwide, according to Mike Soltz, the attorney for Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, he said in an interview, it requires permission each time APIs are used and code calls other code. Then you've upended if it requires. Then you will upend the economics of software. Really doesn't. It requires permission if you take someone's API and decide you're going to alter it and call it your own. That requires permission. Right? Yeah. 
it, you know, it's just, it's it's very similar to this thing in music, right? Where they're making these mashup songs out of other songs, and I know there's a word for it, but I'm too old. To know what it is. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about, right? They'll yes. take like a classic song and then mix it with like rap and call it something else. Well, guess what? You have to pay a royalty on that because you took somebody else's work. I I really think this is all really silly and we should just move on because, okay yeah. i uh before we go too much further you uh you have been talking about something over uh, the last nearly four years of this show and that you've really ramped it up uh recently and you nailed it and i want to get to that uh really quickly awesome turkeys but first let's mention linux academy right here at the top you know linux academy is such a great fit for the Coda Radio audience that I think we should probably just stop right here and mention them. If you could go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, you can get the first 30 days for nine bucks. And that is a great deal because this is an unbelievable platform. It's an educational platform built by extremely enthusiastic Linux users and developers and trainers that came together and created the Linux Academy. They now have 2,381 videos with their self-paced courses, downloadable, comprehensive study guides, stuff you can listen to offline and read offline and keep for yourself, scenario-based labs to put you in the middle of an everyday task that gives you the confidence if you're going to go charge somebody or claim you can do something, or if you just want to challenge yourself and learn, you have the confidence that you actually know how to use it in the real world. Instructor mentoring is available, and if you think about some of the topics they cover, that's unbelievable. The Linux Academy obviously covers all the basics and the advanced topics around Linux and the certification courses for that. But they also cover tons of different development possibilities. Python, Ruby, PHP, Mike's favorite, and others. Also integrating with AWS service, learning to use containers and Nginx. Pretty great. They have graded server exercises, also the Red Hat certification courses, the OpenStack environment, and Android development. Why didn't I mention that? They have Android development courseware as well. In-depth resources are available to you. A community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. Enhanced learning plans. And they come with your own x86 server when you need. They spin it up and give you SSH. Go check them out at linuxacademy.com slash coders. Going there and learning more about them helps us. And signing up really does. linuxacademy.com slash coders. It's just it's, – it's, it's such a legitimately perfect fit for our audience. So much better than all of the other online training resources out there. All of the other ones that – most of these things – for years, were just barely features they strive for, and now some of them are finally getting on board, but it really requires an entire shift. And that's where Linux Academy started, linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, Mike, you totes called this, uh, and it's hitting one of the bigger names that we all know, one of the unicorns, as, it, as some call them out there, Dropbox. Mm, unicorn blood slushy, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Dropbox is cutting a bunch of perks. And uh, it's telling people to brace for impact, just like a bunch of other uh, Silicon Valley startups are. The change of Dropbox, <laughs> get this, last valued at $10 billion. Wow, $10 billion for storing yeah. other people's stuff. Uh, it shows even the most high, which of course they do a lot more than that, uh, shows even the most richly valued, highly funded startups are no longer immune to the changing tides of Silicon Valley. A weaker VC funding environment and freezing tech IPO market have forced startups of all sizes to take cost-cutting measures and focus more on profits, signifying a shift in the free-spending growth uh, at all-cost culture that has been spreading through Silicon Valley for years. Now, here's what's happened, Mike. Check this out. <laughs> this, is so, this just shows you where they were at. Um, in a company-wide email in March, Dropbox said it was canceling the free shuttle in San Francisco <laughs> and the gym washing service, not the gym. 
Uh, while, oh boy, the yeah, hardship! Yeah, while pushing back dinner time to seven p.m. and limiting the number of guests to five a month, it was previously unlimited. Uh, <laughs> those how will they go on? How, Chris? Yeah. uh, And it it still has this open bar on Fridays. Those changes will have a direct impact. I said it'll still have. uh, San Francisco uh, Friday. Let's do it. Yeah, it's got open bars. You know, well, let's go. Uh, Those changes will have a direct impact, though, on Dropbox's profitability. So get this. They were spending that much. Yeah, well, this is what this here's where here's the numbers. The company wrote in an email that the employee perks in total have been costing Dropbox twenty five thousand dollars a year for each employee. What? <laughs> yeah, so Dropbox is a fifteen hundred headcount, so that would basically be about thirty eight million dollars a year. <laughs> 30, what? Not even not really? not towards code, not towards marketing. I mean, yeah, making people happy. That's true. Uh, Holy mackerel! I used to think I was extravagant with my, you know. Once every two weeks, the lunches I would take. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm a big roller yeah. when I'm helping people fly out here for Linux Fest Northwest. Dropbox isn't the only high-profile startup to unleash company-wide cost-cutting campaigns lately. A number of unicorn startups worth over a billion, including Evernote, Jawbone, and Tango, have all gone through some form of cost-cutting, whether it be layoffs, office closures, or reduced employee perks. Uh, Prosper, which was valued at $1.9 billion, disclosed that its CEO is going to be forgoing his annual salary this year in, in addition to reducing the workforce. And like a tout app uh, backed by Anderson Horowitz recently announced that it would not do any paid event sponsorships this year to embrace operational ruthlessness and get closer I, to profitability. I love watching people have – you know what though? I was going to say I love watching them have real business problems, but uh, the open bar did not get cut. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, you know, there is also uh, there. There was that whole hundred thousand uh, dollar panda that they bought. Yeah, Dropbox bought like a hundred thousand dollar panda that they have in their office. Well, here's the thing, like, you know, sculpture. <laughs> Not an actual panda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I was gonna say I didn't think you could buy pandas, but uh, you know, is that what keeps employees? The laundry service, like. You know, I tell you, it would be uh, – <clears throat> well, I mean, Jupiter Broadcasting does have laundry service. We do have – if you visit the studios, you can do your laundry. Uh, well, uh, JB crew members. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, no. And you know what? Uh, the thing is, is it sets too high of an expectation, so pretty soon it starts to become, well, somebody has well, to hold seemed, out. It seems like a weird arms race, right? Like, yes, yes. Like, you know, not for nothing, they could get everybody a $5,000 raise and save $20,000 per employee a year. <laughs> I mean, it really represents how much the investment uh, funding was just wasted, I think. It's waste, yeah. And, and, and how little priority was uh, put on, well, if we're going to store terabytes of users' data on S3, we better make sure we know how to make that profitable, or however they do. I think they maybe have their own infrastructure now. I think they have their own. I, yeah. I thought they moved off S3. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, my point is, is uh, it is a very expensive business to be in, and there's that money could be spent on salaries, that money could be spent you know, on... And I wonder how hard it really is to recruit as one of these well-known companies. I, I can't imagine because the argument's always we need to you know pamper employees to keep them. Yeah, but because if they post a job, they're not getting a couple hundred resumes. Isn't it? Just, does it blow your mind yeah. that uh, the company like Dropbox could be so large they could afford to blow almost forty mil a year on? Gym services and washing you know, services and food services for unlimited guests. Unlimited guests with an open bar on Friday. How, it's really weird. Like these unicorns, in a way, they don't feel like startups. Right? <laughs> they feel like some ungodly thing that doesn't need to turn a profit. But, you know, because they really distort the market in a lot of ways. 
if you're not worried about actually turning a profit, you might just slash prices to the freaking ground to kill competitors, right? Yeah, or offer gigabytes of free storage or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I'm a Dropbox user. I like Dropbox. I pay for Dropbox. I just don't understand. You know, I actually think their pricing model could make sense. Certainly if they cut the $25,000 perks a year. I don't know why they feel they need that. Because I know plenty of people who are currently looking for work. Yeah. Would totally jump at the opportunity to work at Dropbox. Right. You know, punishing interviews or no punishing interviews. So anyway, we should we should, we should, we should we'll just, move on. Yeah. You I just think I just wanted to give you a chance to have a little victory lap on there because you've been talking oh. about this VC funding how Listen, it's when the White Walkers come over the wall, I'm going to be sipping wine and laughing. Just hold in there, Mr. Dominic. If you can hold in, these guys will start to fall back and have to cut costs and become more competitive. And uh, then by na- very nature, you will become more competitive. And boom! I'm just saying, there could be hope for the small dev yet. Chat room, don't forget to bang suggest as we go along. I don't think you jerks have, sing- have given us a single title suggestion. Uh, get ready to talk about Swift. So, uh, Mike... This is sort of feeling a lot like Swiftness these days. You're a changed man. I see you tweeting about liking Swift. I see you doing code samples. What the heck is going on? So Chinese hackers got into my Twitter account. Right, right. So so that makes sense. (laughs) No, so, well, I may have completed an app in Swift. But let's 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 do a little code on the air. People complain we don't do code on the air. And I'm going to show them why it doesn't work right now. So let's talk about Swift. Everybody emails in Swift, Reddit Swift, Twitter Swift, Swift Swift. Let's talk about optional types in Swift and why Swift's handling this may actually be better than Objective-C. So, Chris, can you bring up my wonderful chest? Energizing, Mr. Dominic. It is up on screen. I am zooming and enhancing. All right, I'm going to paint a word picture. There is a very attractive man, and (laughs) there are two files in this GIF. Mm -hmm. Uh, GIST, rather. GIF is PMP. It is Dominic M slash CR204-1 if you want to follow along. So we have a jar jar struct. See, that's a struct, not a class. We're being all we're being all swifty. With a variable called Senate speech, which is a string. Now at the end of the type string is a question mark. Now, Chris, can you go ahead and read that comment next to the question mark? Uh, the question mark means that uh, Misa might be nil and makes me <laughs> an optional type. <laughs> Damn it. Exactly. <laughs> All code samples on the show will be done with some sort of Jar Jar link, by the way. You, so you, 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 you are, I love it. This is the perfect troll. <laughs> I thought it was a real Because not only are you trolling the audience, but you're trolling me because I, I had to read that. <laughs> Listen, I just want all of you to be trolled effectively. All right, so... And I just realized that uh, there is a typo. Uh-oh. Boom. Real-time, real-time debugging. I like that. Um, Thanks. All right, reloaded. Okay, standby, reloading. So yep, we have it. We have two func- – yeah, I just accidentally commented a line that wasn't a comment. We have two functions. One is func vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum's leadership. The other is func insane vote of no confidence. Now, what vote of no confidence does is it instantiates a bool called is Sith from uh, basically checking if Senate speech, remember our string property, contains the phrase something, something dog side. <laughs> now, yes, 
this this will get people to stop emailing me about doing more code. Um, the the question mark on sentence speech right before the dot contained string tells the compiler that sentence speech is in fact an optional and that we are confirming it as an optional and we are not super sure that it's not null, right? In fact, in this case, I have purposely made sure that it is nil. Um, so what would you think would happen, Chris? You, you instantiate something, you call a method called contain a string on a nil variable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boy, I would have to say Misa not sure, Mr. Dominic. Well, in Swift, if it's optional, <laughs> it will not crash, actually, if you do it the way I did it in Vote of No Confidence. Okay, now is this, uh, you say in Swift, now is this something Swift. that would go differently in Objective-C? It would. So if we scroll down a bit okay. to cr204.m. cr204-2.m. Thank you. We will see the same thing. This is Objective-C. I've uh-huh. truncated some of this stuff. But we see a, a method, vote of no confidence. Now you'll notice that this one has, if Senate speech does not equal nil, yeah. then it puts the assignment. The reason for that is the question mark after Senate speech and before calling the method contains string actually in terms of like what it does functionally, does a nil check for you. So that's how Swift optionals are, uh, are basically protecting you from yourself, right? So what will happen mm. here is if the sentence speech is nil, is Sith will actually be invalid, but it won't crash, and it will let you know that it's nil. So you won't get a runtime error. Yeah. However, those of us who are a little insane, such as the great Jar Jar Binks, sure, would call a function called insane vote of no confidence. I see this, yeah. We're uh-huh. back in the Swift one. Mm-hmm. Where notice that my question mark has become an exclamation point. Yes, I do. And notice that the text we're checking for is now Misa going to burn this mother down. Yeah, I do. Yes, I like that a lot. <laughs> the exclamation point does something called forced unwrapping. Now, what that is, is it's saying Swift compiler, I know that this is an optional type. But I pinky swear, guarantee, double dog say that there is a value there and it's not nil. So just go ahead, don't bother. Of course it is not. So it doesn't do crash, which is the expected behavior of the sample. Now if we go down to our Objective-C version of that, mm-hmm. it's the same as just doing it without checking for nil. Now what is the point in this really convoluted but wonderfully classic Star Wars exercise. <laughs> Other it's, than giving Jar Jar a chance to uh, stretch his uh, coding fingers oh, out. <laughs> oh, Chris, if I had more time this weekend, Jar Jar <laughs> the IRC. Um, it's to show what I, so far, have found one of my favorite features in Swift. Optional types that aren't terrible. Because hmm. I cannot tell you how much Objective-C code I write that's not nil, you know, if variable isn't nil if blah 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 nil checks nil checks nil checks all day long I'm checking for nil this is a succinct one line easy peasy standard way to do it um, there's a few other little things in here but I don't you know I don't think we need to worry about them too much for instance the let syntax actually makes it a uh, immutable variable so you can't reassign that instance value again more for safety right so the idea here is that Swift wants to be a safe language where Objective-C, you could just uh, do whatever the hell you want. Can I guess I I've heard that term a lot. Swift is a, is a safer language. And I guess what that really means is it's, there's a lot of little things that make it a safer language. It's not like – I mean I guess there's some big things. This, but This is one of the primary things, right? Um, you know, Objective-C has a very unique relationship with nil values. 
and that it's one of uh, the few, the proud, the languages that let you throw nil around, and it's totally cool with that. It assumes you know what you're doing. Yeah. Swift does not, unless you explicitly say uh, that you're sure pinky square something's not nil. It will assume it is, assuming you use the syntax I used here. This is actually- there are. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, this is just actually fairly illuminating because as someone who uh, doesn't really have the inclination to actually jump in but just hears all the time these things about Swift, um, this, this is actually kind of interesting to see a real-world example of it. I just yeah. looked at it in the chat room if the chat room wants to take a look. Yeah, take a look. I mean, this is obviously a super contrived, though really classic children's example with the great character, Drudger Banks. <laughs> but it, it really does go over a couple concepts that are pretty important. Like one thing we can talk about very briefly is that Jar Jar is not a class. Jar Jar is a scrap. And generally speaking, I'm finding in Swift you are better off using structs instead of classes because things get weird. Um, and we'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit in the next uh, okay. yeah. segment. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, I have to say my general impressions after, you know, doing the samples mm-hmm. and finishing this project that I'm going to talk about in a minute in Swift is that there is a lot of little... I'll call it nanny state functionality in Swift where everything has to be handled, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, it's done in such a clean way that you end up writing less code. And, you know, I'm a chief offender at the not checking for nil problem all the time. (laughs) So this, I think, is actually really good. I also would caution you if you're going to jump into Swift, unless you have a really good reason, things should probably be optionals. Hmm. and you should probably be using structs instead of classes most of the time. Uh, that's a broad generalization. I know you will email me why I'm wrong, but there are the majority of the cases, unless you're super sure something's not can ever be nil, it should be an optional. Um, and that's my story. Did so. you, you created a thread on the subreddit for this uh, too, right? So there is already a thread. I could add that oh, to the show notes, or no. I, I did not create a thread. Oh, okay. I thought maybe I saw something about a code sample in there. Um, well, well, here's what I would suggest is, uh, I'll, we'll have a link to the gist in the show notes and then there'll be the post for 204 at coderadio.reddit.com if people want. There you go. That'd be just fine spot for it. I love it, Mr. Domino. It's pretty funny. Oh, you totally got me because I hadn't read ahead. So when I, when I, <laughs> when I read that comment, <laughs> I figured I'd get you with the charge. Yeah, that was good. That was good. All right. Before we go any further, I got to tell you about DigitalOcean, longtime sponsor here on the Coder Radio program. Use our promo code Coder Digital, one word lowercase over there. And man, you will love it. So you get a $10 credit when you, when you use promo code Coder Digital. Now, their basic rig starts at $5 a month. $5 a month, that's great, because you'll get a two-month free trial to try out DigitalOcean. You can go spin up an Ubuntu box, a Fedora box, FreeBSD, CentOS, CoreOS, the Debs. They got a bunch of great distros. But what I really love, I mean, for me, when I'm doing something for testing, I love using the Ubuntu with Docker pre-installed image. It gets a, 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 in seconds. And the thing that I love about that is if I need to nuke and pave because, ah, screw it, this doesn't work. I go back there, I hit one button, right back, got a fresh Ubuntu box with Docker already set up. And that's a big deal, too, because you want to make sure you're getting Docker from the right source. And the DigitalOcean image gets it directly from the Docker project with their GP key in there, making sure it's the right one. All that stuff's taken care of for you automatically. It's really nice. I mean, they've thought of a lot of the small details, and that really shows in their interface. They have an amazing interface. with a fantastic API with lots of good apps already written around it. 
you can just take advantage of or just write one yourself. Super simple stuff. They have a new command line tool that's really nice. uses that API. We uh, experiment with it ourselves here because we have a couple of new droplets that we're using for different live stream purposes where we go out to Scale Engine and uh, Ustream and um, YouTube is the one that's probably the newest. And then also our audio stream, etc. We use different DigitalOcean droplets for the different destinations when we want to turn them on and off. It just becomes so simple when it's $5 a month and it's only charged when it's running. We just turn them on and off. So when we're live, we turn them on and then we light up a few places where we're not normally live at. And then when the show ends, we shut it down. And they've got this great command line utility to manage all of this. So it's not like you have to even fire up the web browser if you don't want to. It's really nice. So just use the promo code Coder Digital, and you can spin up a rig in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, and Germany. You'll be amazed because they're all SSDs, so they're all super fast with great CPUs. Tons of transfer. Starts at a terabyte. Tier 1 bandwidth. It's really nice. DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code Coder Digital, and then go get started. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Coder Digital. Okay, so Mr. Dominic, you uh, you kind of put your uh, monies where your mouth is, for as the phrase goes, and actually created yourself a little Swift project. I'm curious what you started over there. So I, over the weekend, wrote a little Mac app in Swift. Aw, you wrote a little and, Mac app. And the app kit. Very little, little utility, nothing huge. Um, I'm probably going to release it just because I think other people will have had the need. Uh, I just got to get some you know graphics because it has no app icon. What I found was really interesting. Um, so I got it done really fast and with very few bugs, which is nothing to do with Swift and just because I'm awesome. I'm kidding. No, but no, there that's, were, cool. that's cool. There were a few, uh, how, should we, how could I say this? Awkward points, right? For instance, any time I had to do any kind of UI code, Swift felt weirdly foreign in AppKit there. And I'm not sure if this is just my impression. I'm not sure if this is an AppKit versus UIKit thing. So I also started a project in UIKit over the weekend. Um, to be fair to Swift, AppKit's really awkward to begin with because it's old as crap. <laughs> and there's, there's like a million years of legacy in there. And, it's, you know, and this is someone who sold Mac software before, written plenty of Mac apps. It, it's just... AppKit's a different place. Um, having said that, I, I finally got the opportunity to use some of the new niceties. If you remember my uh, my Mac app from a few years ago, was before Apple introduced yep. storyboards yeah. or any of that kind of stuff. All, it was a, it was it was like a, it feels like a, it feels like a, a totally different era of uh, Mac desktop development. It, it really was actually because now AppKit has storyboards. It and I think that had a lot to do with the uh, efficiency gain. Just because the tooling was the same, mm-hmm. right? I, oh, I, for sure, dude. Like there's there was an NS view controller instead of me having to deal with the crazy legacy view system on OS X. Um, one thing that is unfortunate about this app is that it cannot be sandboxed. So that's disappointing. Well, is what is it? Do you want to say what it's doing? Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna wait till next week because okay. I'm just gonna release it. I'm gonna do a little. Uh, I think I might just release it either very cheaply or free for the Code Radio audience because I, I have a feeling some people have had a similar need than I do for this. So no sandboxing means automatically no App Store. Right, automatically. And and that's the biggest part of the delay. I was hoping to kind of just release it today either for free or not. 
Um, I'm, I'm thinking I might just do like five bucks for less, but I have to like, you know, deal with payment processing now. Right. I, yep. it, it may not be worth it for me to get you the binary to be totally honest. Yeah. That's uh, that's really, you know, that's really kind yeah. of a bummer. Uh, uh, because the, the one thing I really like about the app stores in general is when you set up a machine, it makes reloading your applications very straightforward and, I honestly have a pretty good trust level that uh, Apple's going to do a good implementation of, of protecting my credit card information, so I don't really mind them having it on file. But everybody else I have to buy from is yet another person that I'm trusting they've set up everything correctly. And I'm not saying anything about your setup because you'd yeah. probably use something like Stripe or something like that. But uh, you know, but it, everybody has different in, incantations they have done for taking my payments, and that makes me uneasy these days too. So one of the other things I do like about the App Store approach is – one centralized payment. But <clears throat> that said, every single time in the studio that I open up an application on one of the two Macs we still have remaining and I have to enter my damn iCloud password before I can run the application, it really frustrates me. Oftentimes, I'm trying to get something on the live stream and I need something access to something quickly. And before that application will even execute, I have to authenticate to iCloud for some reason. And this is began. This is happening more and more in the last six uh, months. Well, well, it's funny because I'm working on another project um, for for myself uh, that I'm going to be releasing, and it was easier to implement freaking OneDrive than iCloud. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me either. Really, this is what's I find so f- that shocking. To be honest with you, I, so, I find that no, this is a native Mac. Uh, I'm sorry, a native iOS project we're talking about. Well, that's pretty be, pathetic, really. Yeah. I, I give you this though, so I I appreciate that it's a tough choice to make. Um, and I know I've heard from other developers that face the same thing. So, yeah. Well, the the you know the real challenge is you, you actually nailed it on the head. I have a Stripe account uh, for Buccaneer. You know, Stripe is kind of a great if if you're looking for payment processing. By the way, people, I would love some ad money. Just, just yeah, really, Stripe. What's up? Come What's on, up? Come uh, on. It's a really great API, RESTful API. They have a they have a a good a uh, a good reputation for security. You can be confident in your customers. Oh wait, data. this is why they don't buy ads because we just t- we just give all this away. For free. This is the milk. I, You're giving the milk away right now, man. No, no, I'm just, just kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry. Uh, but there's one. You know, when I released the uh, the Mac version of Code Journal way back in 2010 or 12 or whatever it was. Man, this show's old. The show's really old. Really, really old. Um, I used a system called Gumroad, which I may actually go back to for this. Because they handle the oh, yeah. whole, hey, Chris, you bought it on your Gmail account and you got a new Mac and now I need to send you a new one. But I really don't want you to rip me off. One, because I'm selling it for like five bucks, which is nothing. And two, you know, I'd like to not get ripped off. Right? Yeah, that was a good service. I, you, I tried that out for you and I liked it. I, I, I think I'm going to go back to them for this only because the infrastructure to actually build a licensing system or to buy one is just not worth it. Right? It's delivery and licensing Yeah, system. totally. I'd rather totally lay that off on somebody else, especially for something like this. I mean, if if it was like a fifty dollar per unit app, if it was, you know, I, I might say okay. The market for this, I think, is going to be really, really small. So I would be surprised if I even break like two or three hundred dollars. So as you're uh, starting something from uh, beginning to end, you know, from scratch to, to completion. What uh, was your – did you have some major takeaways and differences? I mean your other primary experience here in the past would have been Objective-C, just kind of on a high level, not necessarily talking about the App Store aspect of it or the sandboxing aspect of it. But what about just high-level differences between Swift and Objective-C for creating this thing? You know, I th- think that in a lot of ways Swift is less uh, – there's less ceremony. 
right? Your code to do the same thing is a lot shorter. Mm. Now, I don't know if that means better because some of it, you know, is a little cryptic. Like, I'm not sure I love the syntax of the question marks and the exclamation points. I really don't like um, symbols in my code too much. I, I much prefer, you know, words, right? English words. I'm a little concerned that, first of all, I'm not using all the features of Swift. Okay, by any well, sure. Way. I mean, sure, you're just kind of right. getting started, ramping up, the, really. My, my goals with this project were to do two things. One, I needed this thing for myself anyway. Two, I wanted to ship something in Swift that was not object-oriented. I wanted to, I mean, it, it is still kind of object-oriented, but it's not, you know, it's not using classes. I'm taking advantage of, basically, I'm not writing Objective-C in Swift, right? Um, which I, I definitely succeeded at, but... I don't know. You know, it, it's really hard for me to say that Swift is qualitatively or quantitatively better than Objective C because I don't think it's true, and I don't think Objective and I no longer think Objective C is necessarily better. Mm. I would say that for some of the deeper Mac APIs, uh, there's a whole lot of documentation in Objective C, sure, and sure. Yeah, yeah. Not Swift. Yeah. So I, I, you know, the biggest challenge, to be totally honest with you, was translating this really old Mac API into Swift because the only sample I had to work with was one of Apple's old docs in Objective-C. And the reason this API doesn't have an update is because it's not allowed on the App Store because it's a it breaks sandboxing. So, and it breaks it in a way where it just reads the file system. That's all it does. But the way it does it is... You know... It reads- it reads your bin directory, basically. At Linux Fest Northwest, I talked to uh, a couple of different people involved with GNOME, people that are in very important positions. And um, one of them was interviewed on LAS. And they're all talking about sandboxing on the GNOME desktop as a way to deliver software, mostly, uh, as a way they look at it. You would actually like this a lot, Mike, because the, their big perspective on it is uh, developers want to control uh, the relationship with the end user and they want to distribute the software directly if possible. Now, they can distribute it through GNOME software or through their website, but they want to make it so that way essentially it's like some sort of file system image or, I don't know, a bundle of some type that goes into a container or a sandbox. Uh, But they're talking about sandboxing not for much, not so much as a security thing, although that's definitely part of it, but also just as an application delivery thing on Linux where you'd have everything – sort of all in one one uh, package, and it couldn't necessarily get to different aspects on the file system. And I wonder if – I wonder how well they're going to be able to pull this off because the Linux desktop traditionally, you know, everything you, – you, once you – everything you, you are – everything you – you can get to everything that you have access to as a user – if you're oh, sure, if you're sure. user one thousand, anything that user one thousand or the group that one thousand is in can access. And once you become root, you can access everything. And so the concept of sandboxing, I think, is going to be particularly foreign to Linux users on the desktop. And so I'm watching you know, watching I, the I Mac desktop just fail miserably because uh, yeah. you're not the, you are so far from the only guy who can't go into the App Store because of sandboxing. Just about Literally. every dev really has yeah, issues. But, I mean, Let's be fair, right? I, I tend to release developer tools or at least very small developer utilities when I do on the Mac, right? So, by, I mean, Code Journal uh, in 2010 was sandboxed. But it was sandboxed because all it was was a freaking Git client. Uh, and not, not Git like a Git client, a GitHub status thing that, you know, at the time was useful. I don't... 
you know, the types of things that I'm, I'm working on now are very focused on helping people set up new dev machines, right? So, so the bet I'm making on this is one, I need it. Two, will you give me $5 to save you hired a new junior developer and you don't want it to take three hours for them to set up their machine? And you're Mac people, so you don't want to run a script. You'd rather just have a, you know, a widget to do it. That, that, that's really the bet I'm making with some of these things. Um, and, and I think it's actually not in Apple's interest to allow this type of app on the, on the App Store. Because basically, you know, to hit your bin directory, I, I do need, you know, that's rude, right. Um, mm, yeah. Now, yeah. That's never going to happen. <laughs> never right, going to happen. <laughs> granted, the, the API that I'm using in OS X actually is fairly safe. Hmm. Um, but at some level, you do have to trust me. Uh, the other <laughs> side of the coin is, you know, this, this type of application isn't super viable uh, in terms of a mass market. It's, you know, I'll be honest with you, it, it's to help, let's say, a new Rails developer get set up on their Mac who doesn't know how to do stuff, right? Or it's to help a project manager do some minor, uh, hmm. some minor, you know, cleaning of a project before they send it to a customer that doesn't know how to work the command hmm. line, which isn't bad. Those people need tools too, and I'm really hoping they'll pay five dollars. But if they, and by the way, I decided the price point just now on the air. I like it though. It seems like a good price point. Well, it, it seems like the lowest price point that makes having to occasionally respond to support emails worth it, right? Barely. Barely. <laughs> I mean, you got to be honest with yourself. That's barely, 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 barely. But you got to figure, you know, maybe if there's another version and they buy a future one, then yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, um, you know, but. If, if, they, I, if, they, if they bought like two or three versions eventually, then yeah. I tell you what, uh, every single. Every single day that goes by, my time becomes more and more valuable. And I don't mean to sound like one of those guys, but uh, I, I don't, I don't have time for anything at all. And so if I just, I am too busy. It is getting ridiculous. And so if if something needs a little bit of my time, it's gotta, whew, it's rough. That is rough. Like, uh, you know, I gotta reload on my my main laptop. I have this. Uh, I love the Apollo from Entraware, and I upgraded the uh, uh, M dot two SATA drive in there, and it died on me. Mm. I don't know if it's the upgrade that died or if the slot died or what, but regardless, now I have to f- figure out and reload my laptop. You know, to set up your laptop just right takes – it's just – it's so now right now it's just sitting over there because I haven't had time. I'm going to go get to it this afternoon after my next show. Right. It's just a oh, – it's a bummer. I tell you what. So yeah, I'd say make sure make sure you set at a price point where you're not resentful. So if you feel like five dollars is it, then yeah, I'd say that's right. Well, you know, it, it's I, th- I think five dollars is it. I mean, I, again, this is not going to be the next. Oh my God, interview me on YouTube as you know, yeah. app development star. This is just I wrote an app, I needed it, and because I'd like to get five dollars, I'm going to put it up publicly, yeah. and because I think it will be useful to a certain market. So, so before we run as yes. uh, fathers. I thought yes. this was fun. Uh, now, this is totally nostalgic, uh, but uh, this was by Nicholas Buys, and he said, my oldest son Noah just turned seven three months ago. Uh, he loves Minecraft, uh, but he also, you know, is just being getting interested in games in general. And his dad, about five months ago, uh, went to a London Dare, I guess, which is a game dev competition okay, where, they, sure. where they create games. He comes back, he's showing off the game to the family, and the son wants to learn how to code. He, he racks his brain, he racks his brain and comes up with QBasic, as the way to start. He says, yes, awesome QBasic. It's, yes. it's a terrible procedural language. It introduces one to the concepts widely considered harmful. It uses awkward syntax for implicit declarations. It's not case sensitive. Is Wow, I don't remember that. It is non-zero based, etc. The list goes on. 
but he loves it, and the kids have been loving it. He said, I installed QBasic on my son's 11-inch HP stream today, having to hack a DOS box to get a manual installation. He double-clicked on the icon on his desktop, and in a split second, we were in the IDE greeted with introduction screen. And now these kids writing, uh, you know, of course, takes me back. he started with Hello World. Charm. I know. I you know, I, I started with QBasic, yeah, and yeah, uh, sure. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. So maybe that's why I have a soft spot for this particular story, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. No, I re- oh, my God. I remember having – It's like, a really good story. The, the antsy uh, – what was it? Like the characters try to make a rocket ship or something. <laughs> All the stupid <laughs> yeah. little projects. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, his so, son ends up making a game, which is pretty cute. That's, that's awesome. So I have a quick promo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So – I was out on paternity leave, and I have a Rails developer who, due to a scheduling snafu while I'm gone, may have to be benched, which is bad. So I am saying if you have a either HTML5, i.e. Cordova or Ionic mobile project, or a Ruby on Rails web development project you need done, reach out to Buccaneer Tech. If I can get this guy on a project within, let's say, two to three weeks, I am willing to cut a deal. And what would be the best way to reach out to Buccaneer Tech? Uh, if you go to BuccaneerTech.com, there's another thing that pops up. Just fill that out. So. There you go. There you go. Oh, did you hear that? I don't know if you heard that. That was uh, endorsed by Mr. Obama. Hello, everybody. Yeah, there he is. Yes. Yeah, there he is. There he is. Yeah. So, and uh, of course, there also is the Twitter. Woo. So you can follow. Uh, give your Twitter handles out real quick. There, Mike. Come on now. Come uh, there's on. A Buccaneer Tech on Twitter, but there's also Dumanuko, D-O-M-I-N-U-C-C-O. Yeah. So if you need a little development work done, that could be a good deal. That could be a little. Just stroke it a little bit. Yeah. Put it this way, it will be a sweetheart of a deal. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear more about the app next week. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, all right. Well, Mr. Dominic, if there's anything else, is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? Before we get no, out, I, I think I yeah. think we're good and on time. So bonus. Points. And uh, the new family's doing well. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's very good. well. Good. Very well. Although good. I have to say, my son is. Uh, oh, should I even say this on the air? Sure. I'll go. Now you have to. I mean, he it, took to the Surface Pro, my wife's Surface oh, Pro. No! Oh, no! It's in her blood. She's, she was a Microsoft. Oh, I corrupted her. oh wait, this, uh, this could corrupt his hipster tendencies. This could corrupt them. He well, might just like whip out a, an access terminal one day and be like, <laughs> oh, be basic, baby. Stay tuned for further developments. Catch us live on Mondays. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for live times, jblive.tv for that live stream and that chat room where you can help title the show and interact with us and catch more of the show on the live stream. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio, and we'll see you right back here next week.